Is your barn overflowing with those beautiful babies? Is your milking string longer than you anticipated? If so, you may find some ideas on making the cut on this week's episode of Goat Gap. Join Cameron, myself, and our special guests, Ed Jedlowski and my daughter, Caroline Warren, as we ruminate on reducing numbers and using a family approach to deciding who makes the cut in our herds. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to an exciting edition of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron Jedlowski. I'm your other co-host, co-host Laura Warren Hughes. I'm stumbling on my words tonight. <laughs> and uh, we are excited to be joined by two guest hosts tonight. Yeah, um, uh, Dr. Ed. Hello, Goat Gab fans. And then we're also joined by my youngest daughter, Caroline. Hey, guys. We thought it would be an interesting week to talk about managing numbers, but also putting a different perspective on it, especially in families with lots of stakeholders in their herds. Um, As a lot of people know, the Jedlowskis have a lot of stakeholders. And at one point we had about six stakeholders that we were trying to make decisions off of. And Laura, I don't think it's any different in your herd as well. Right. And, and especially when everybody has their own opinion and, uh, you have a bunch of chiefs and not very many Indians. It can get really interesting, can't it? Oh, yes, absolutely, as I'm looking at my dad right there. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, before we dive into that, uh, Laura, Caroline, what's happening in your place? Well, we restocked the barn on hay yesterday, which was much needed, as well as brought a new addition to our farm. It's always fun when your kids get old enough that um, I, I had to work at the hospital yesterday and we were like in the dregs of hay. And I came home after work and not only had my kids gone and gotten the hay, but they'd unloaded it. And well, my daughter, Caroline, had gotten a load of hay all by her lonesome and it was all unloaded and stacked in the barn. So that's always a sweet, a sweet gift of having adult kids. So um, if they're Indians more than if they're chiefs more than they are Indians, well, I, I can take the good along with the bad, I think. <laughs> and Laura, on Saturday, you took a pretty uh, exciting and eventful trip. I did. So um, my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, and I and our friend Jessica made the trip up to Epworth, Iowa to see Craig Copeman and his beautiful uh, Pleasant Grove herd. And uh, picked up some kids that we were transporting back. And I've always wanted to see Craig's operation. And and uh, it was just a really neat drive up there, way up there. I didn't realize how big Iowa is. It doesn't look that big on the map. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was quite it, a trip. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like closer to the Thompsons than anything. I mean, he, I mean, he is pretty far north up there. Um, we've got a pretty back in the day when we used to swap a lot of goats. Um, we would always meet him halfway, and I, I remember this vividly because my grandpa would always go and he'd meet Craig at the Henry County Fair exit in Illinois, and we, that's where we just swap off goats there. So. Um, we, but I've been up there ourselves when we picked up bucks or I was up there, um, in December, uh, with my semen tank getting some stuff. So yes, I've, I've made many trips up to the Pleasant Grove and it's a great place. Well, it was hard not to fangirl when I was up there. Cause you know, I'm like looking at these goats and saying, Oh, that's gotta be moniker and that's gotta be jamboree. And that's gotta be, you know, and it was just, it was just fun to see them all. And, and just some, just some little Uh, things that I noticed. One was that they were very quiet. Like, you know, I go out to my barn and it doesn't matter what time of day it is. They're like, Oh, mom's here. And they're all talking and they're noisy. And, and the goats, you know, they noticed that there were people in the barn, but they weren't hanging on the fence and, and acting obnoxious like mine do. And um, Jessica made a comment, um, something about they, they're not here begging for cookies. And, And Craig said, we don't feed cookies to the goats. And I'm like, and that's why I have a barn full of brats is because I do feed cookies to them. Um, The other thing that, yes, we've created monsters. The other (laughs) thing that I noticed that was kind of cool. um, The Alpines were milling around kind of towards the front. And when you looked at the back where the hay feeders were, 
the majority of the goats that had their hay all the way or their heads all the way down in the hay were the Sonnens. That's why I didn't see them up front. So it's, I think that just must be a Sonnen thing. Eat, get milked. That's your life. You know, they, they were, they were more interested in eating, but it was very cool to see that and to see a setup and, and, you know, in the back of my mind dreaming, gosh, I wish I could do something like this. And it's so beautiful up there where he lives, just rolling and just speaks to your soul, or at least it does for me. I think I thought it was beautiful. And then on the way home, we were um, just south of Des Moines and all three of us, our cell phones went off and made this kind of a funky alert sound. And I thought it was one of those Amber alerts that came through. No, it was a tornado warning. And it said, uh, find, find shelter immediately. Well, we were on I-35. So I thought, well, it doesn't look that bad. I think I'll just keep driving. So we kept driving and then the hail started and then heavy rain and hail was going. And I'm thinking, um, almost to the point where I can't see right now. So, uh, then we saw all these brake lights in front of us and people were pulling over. So we pulled over on the side of the road and I kid you not in front of us, we saw two, uh, tornadoes form and hit the ground and flew East in front of us. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen on the road. That's never fun. Never, never fun to see that on a trip uh, where you just seen some good stuff. And now you're like, eh. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. So you truly got to experience roller coaster road, which is what Craig looks like. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That was just. That was just something. And of course, you know, you always worry about the people who, if their families were hit or their houses or their barns or their animals. And, and I sure hope if we have any listeners who are in that area, I hope that they are all safe and sound, but that was, that was something else to see. I've just not seen a tornado like that. So um, yeah. the only other thing, the only other thing exciting is we had our second doe finally kid and got two bucks in a doe, pretty little triplet. So um, a nice nose and toes delivery. So I'm not going to complain about that. So all our favorite color of brown. Yeah, they're all they're all brown. We again, Laura, maple wind caprine brown. Put it in your lows, okay? Pat in the color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my husband. So uh, this little goat that we brought back was a sun gal, and my husband's like, I like that color. We don't have any of that color, and I said, well, we did. We we had another sun gal buck. Yeah, but we didn't get any sun gal kids out of him. I like that color. And I'm thinking, that's We're okay. Trying. We'll still get brown. You can't breed that out in one generation, they say. I think you're right. We've been trying. So what's going on with you guys? Well, we have been busy um, with our March kiddings. Um, we, we've really faithfully been inducing does this year. Um, to do it on the weekends. And I will say that has made life around here so much less hectic. Um, and so we um, induced four does last weekend. Yep. And I was, I was telling um, Cameron that it was really strange because we had four singles in a row. And I was like, what is going on? And then we, we topped that off with a pair of twins, um, a, an alpine and a sable. And we had a set of twin does from an alpine, which was like, we, we haven't had a lot of, um, the doe fairy has not uh, graced us with tons of does, but the last couple of ones that we've had have been, we've seen some more does, which is kind of nice. So we can fill our orders and, um, you know, at least have some replacement animals. Cause we were getting a little concerned about that. Um, we have a huge group of does due, um, this weekend, I think there's seven more does due and they're kind of, they kind of spraddle um, this weekend and next. And so we'll probably um, induce, like we've got one we're going to induce tomorrow because we want her to kid and have her out of the way um, because she's a, she's an older doe. So we want to make sure that we, we get her all taken care of and moved out of the pens. And then we're, we've got plenty of room for the other ones. And so We'll do those other six, and there's some pretty big name does of ours in that group. So we're pretty excited about this next group. Um, but I'm doing the math, and after that, 
we really settled down until like the first week in April. Um, so it, it's really going to be that time where we start looking at our numbers, which I know is what we're talking about tonight. So we're going to be doing um, that. Um, and then other than that, we just, you know, things have been nice with a clean barn that Cameron um, helped me get all taken care of two weeks ago. And that's been nice. And, um, you know, it, 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 the weather, it, it would just decide what degree it wants to be. And we had 70 degrees on Saturday, and I think it's 28 outside right now. So um, it just can't decide what it wants to do. But I guess that is spring in the Midwest. Yeah, Are you sure you're not from Missouri? <laughs> Illinois, Missouri. Mother, it's the same. It, we have the same mother nature for both of those states, I think. It's just crazy this year. Just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm pretty excited because, uh, you know, people, we talk about the pepperoni man. And I, I love the pepperoni man. But I had actually somebody reach out for all of my excess um, pepperoni man goats. And he, the guy was like, I listen to the podcast. Um, but if you need to get rid of any of your pepperoni man goats, let me know. I'm looking to buy them. So I'm like, okay. So we've got a new um, goats on the go affiliate out of <laughs> Champaign Urbana, actually. Um, that's starting an affiliate herd and he needs animals for that. So I'm excited to uh, be leaving the pepperoni man uh, a little bit. Um, but I'm sure we will return to the pepperoni man for some of our later kids. Well, that's really nice. And I think what was this goats on the go thing? Was it like a group of people that all met together to kind of learn about it? Because I've seen some pictures on Facebook too. Yeah. Um, so there was a big goats on the go affiliate meeting, I think um, that a couple of our, our mutual friends were on. Um, and then um, this get this guy reached out to me and he was like, Hey, I'm starting to go to the go affiliate. We've met as a podcast. Um, his name's Brett. Um, so shout out Brett and his family there. Um, so I, I'm excited because I think it's just a goats on the go concept is so interesting and I love being able to use that as a different type of land management. So, uh, I'm excited to, uh, uh, give back to the cause. I think that's very cool. Of course, our, our, um, original and favorite goats on the go friend, Margaret, I think she was at that affiliate meeting too and said that it just had a lot of really neat topics and had a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's uh, move on here. Quick ad good news here. Um, I know my dad wanted to say something specifically and they'll, this is going to, this podcast will drop on Wednesday here. Um, but dad. So I think um, we're all going to get some information um, upcoming about uh, a town hall meeting that Adga is going to host. And by the time this podcast um, is released, you will have all received information about that. And that's an awesome opportunity to just kind of give our uh, people in Adga, um, all individuals to kind of have an opportunity to hear what's happening um, and to kind of look to the future of what's happening I think things have been fairly quiet the last two weeks. I knock on wood as I say that to um, Director Laura over there. But I think for the most part, um, we're starting to see some things happen. Um, and I know that this town hall is going to be an opportunity um, for people to really uh, have an, a chance and an outlet to, to get their questions answered. Um, so I'm hopeful that that will be a positive thing. You know, I, I agree with you in what you said, Ed. Things seem to be calming down a little bit. You know, maybe everybody's getting busy with kids, or maybe it's just that, that we are seeing some improvements in things, which I, I think is is hopefully part of it. But I love the fact that we're going to have this town hall meeting, and I think it'll be just a really positive, really positive thing for our members. Right. Yes. So... That's all on Edgar News, um, but this week in podcast news, we do have a sponsor. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Vallis Dioctis Farm. Uh, Jeremy and Lacey Thibodeau uh, and family raise Nigerian dwarfs and sables in Dwight, Kansas. Along with those goats, they also raise four little girls. 
Um, in addition to getting those girls involved with 4-H and ADCA youth programs, the farm also participates in DHIA, linear appraisals, and attend shows throughout the Central Plains region. Uh, Valis de Octus means Valley of Enrichment. Um, so if you're looking to enrich your herd uh, with a sable or some Nigerian dwarfs there, uh, check out the Valis de Octus farm on Facebook. Um, Valis spelled V-A-L-L-I-S. Day D E uh, Octus A U C T U S on Facebook. Um, again, we thank the Thibodeaux and the Ballast Day Octus Farm for being this week's sponsor. And they have the cutest four little girls that you would ever want to meet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. They're they're a great family as well. They're uh, great people. I uh, had some success at the Kansas State Fair and a couple shows in Missouri as well. Just neat people to know, and we thank them for their sponsorship. We're sure we're glad to have them here. So, so our topic this week, um, as Cameron had mentioned earlier, is is really one that's um, quite appropriate for this time of year as we walk out to the barn and in many of us are kind of bursting at the seams or soon will be. And it's kind of talking about managing the numbers that you have in your barn. Um, and we've hit on this earlier. We hit on this last year, but I always think that a, we've got new listeners all the time, but B it's always good to kind of look at things in a little bit of a different light. And that's what we're planning to talk about this year. So um whether it's pepperoni man or uh, moving them down the road to another farm calling is something that I know that I always have a hard time with. Yeah. Yeah. On that as well here. So it is March. Um, and in the Jedlowski household, we are big college basketball fans. Uh, we're, we're, we watch college basketball. We're interested in it. We fight about it every year. Our family holds an annual bracket challenge. So just kind of kick us off here. I think my dad, kind of pitched this idea to me and I kind of liked it here that we think about goat culling like March Madness and creating a bracket of your own. Dad, you want to kind of elaborate a little bit here? Well, first of all, one of the things that I told Cameron was I don't like to use the word culling anymore because I think culling has such a negative connotation. I, I don't look at, at our um, choice of what goats that we're going to keep as culling. I look at it as primarily... You know, what can we do to get to that optimal level of, of having the goats that we can manage? And I think everybody on this podcast knows that we're undergoing some changes in our family structure. And with um, Cameron not being around anymore, I have to honestly look at the number of goats that I can have and I can take care of myself because it's just going to be me. Um, no more can I say, hey, can you run and get hay? Hey, can you run and get feed? Hey, can you run to the vet? I, so, so I have to think about the number of goats that I'm going to have. And I will say one of the things Cameron has done a really good job about is, A, reminding me of that, and B, also helping me establish kind of a, a, an order for how I'm looking at those goats. So I've got like all kinds of spreadsheets. Now, I'm kind of, uh, you know, borrowing on um, our friend Craig Copeman when he was on here talking about all of his spreadsheets that he has. But I have a spreadsheet this year, and it's the first time I've done this, and I have goats that are in the, the absolute staying category for each breed. And then I have the goats that are on the proverbial, like the NCAA tournament, that are on the bubble. And then I have the goats that are automatically have already been determined to be sold. And so that's how we look at um, how, how we're going to make decisions by looking at those three particular areas. So I, I don't know if other people look at it this way, but I like that format because I can move goats around. And let me tell you, goats do move a lot. Um, so <laughs> I, right now I'm keeping a lot on the bubble. That's what I'm going to say. So. I think that may, that's a good visual, and I think that makes a lot of sense to looking at to looking at it that way. Um, I know that last year when we um, talked with Kurt Schnipke and he talked about culling till it hurts, um, that can get kind of brutal sometimes, and especially when you have a bunch of different people with a bunch of different opinions on that too. So I like I like the idea of a spreadsheet. Yeah. 
So how I guess how do you guys there at Maple Wind Caprine, Caroline Laura there, how do you two kind of start the process there with your your family and all of the stakeholders there? And I think we know also a little bit from um from from our conversations with you, and maybe you've even shared some of this on the podcast, but I know last year you made some decisions to sell some pretty notable does in your herd just because you were looking at numbers. So how do you go about doing that? Well, um, I'm obviously the youngest. And so um, this coming year, I am going off to Northwest, which is several hours away from home. So part of it is, is we do have to go down on numbers, mostly because mom can't necessarily handle all of our animals. Um, a lot of the times, I mean, before they even kid, I mean, yes, we do base it off mammary system, but we do a lot of it, general appearance, how well they grow, how well they're managing in the herd is a lot of how we decide who stays and who goes and then kind of look at their kids as well. And I think that's evolved over the years too, because in the beginning, when we, when we first got back in, into dairy goats and we're learning what different lines did and, and how different animals bred and how they matured and so forth. Um, we were pretty adamant that if you sold the dam, you weren't, we weren't going to keep any kids out of it. And I know that's opposite how a lot of people will do because they want to see what improvements that buck could make. But for me, since I had limited time, limited money and limited resources, I didn't want ugly genetics to pop their head back up down the road. So I didn't want to keep it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, 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 subscribe to that same train of thought, but I think about those goats that are ultimately sell and I won't keep a goat. I won't keep a kid out of a goat. That's an ultimate sell in my opinion there. So I have a goat, for example, I'll call, I will call her L. If she were to have a doe kid, I would not keep L's doe kids because in my mind, she is not, that. that's a no go there. Cause I want those genetic lines to not be present in my herd. But I think those that are on the bubble and then the ultimate stay goats, those get a little bit more attention. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. If you know that this doe L isn't the quality that you want to keep a kid out of, why do you keep her? Why, why did you keep her? Why did you breed her? Why are you putting the time and effort into her anyway? Okay, so I'm, I, he's looking at me because he wants me to take the answer to this. So the, the story on Elle is that um, she is out of one of our, one of our uh, most prominent does. And she was a doe kid that was born. She then became a dry yearling. Um, I had a hard time getting her bred as a two-year-old. She freshened very late as a two-year-old. I had already sold a lot of the goats. I kept her and I was like, I don't love her, but I really wanted her to have another freshening. Um, and, and one of the things that we subscribe to here is if you've got three strikes against you, you're out. Well, she doesn't have the best feet. She doesn't have the best front end. And she certainly <laughs> the heck doesn't have the prettiest forerunner and the teats are kind of ugly. Heck, this goat's got four strikes. So you're still thinking, why do you have it? Well, I want. I said to Cameron, I said, let's breed her one more time and see if we, you know, have have get a daughter out of her. Well, she did kid this year and have twin bucks, and it. He's right. It it was. It we were very lucky. I mean, she's still in our barn, but we know that she's on the top of the sell list. Um, she also milked like three thousand pounds. Um, she placed eighth at the national show. I mean. So when we say that she's not a great goat, she she is the 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 worst goat here. There's not a doubt in our mind about that. But it's like th those are some things that we some some games that we play um, in terms of either strikes or when we big board the goats. Cameron would like to talk about big boarding because he's he's constantly like. Let's big board the goats. You know? I, I, I am a big, big boarder here. And I do it with Catherine all the time. So when I was up at Catherine's house last week, I big boarded her goats. I said, if we could only keep five, what five would we keep? It would be this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And, and, and to me, the big board 
is constantly evolving, kind of like the bubble list, kind of, you know, kind of like the bubble spreadsheet there. But the big board is always mental. So there's always going to be a goat in one, a goat in two, a goat in three, a goat in four, a goat in five there. But the the big board changes as goats freshen as well there, or they mature. So I'll pick on another goat here who we're probably getting rid of here. I'm going to call her um, Jay. And Jay, again, it's, it's not the same goat you're thinking about, but Jay started pretty high on the big board, I would say. When we had five goats, she was probably at number two. However, as we freshened more goats and more time went on, Jay went from probably being number two on the big board to probably about number 11 on the big board. Would you agree with that, Ed? Yes. Um, and, and I think that's the thing as, as the goats, uh, grow and mature and you look at them, you start to have all of these questions. And my problem is, and I, and I'm sure there are other, um, out people out there listening to this who would, would subscribe to the same theory is I sometimes get too caught up with having goats in every class. So I want to make sure I have goats in every class. I want to make sure I have, um, the, the, like tonight I was telling him about, well, you know, if we sell so-and-so, then we don't have that milking produce that was first at the national show last year. You know, it's like, why am I, why am I using that to make a determination about keeping a goat? I know that this year, the thing, the, the things that we're going to have are going to go deep. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, we've got a doe that was third, third place at the national show last year. She, she is near, she's on the bubble list. We have another goat that was first place uh, milker last year, at the national show who's still, she's also on that bubble list. And the reason is because as we look at the other goats in the lineup, we're start we're going, these are so much better. Um, and so I know we haven't freshened a lot of first fresheners yet. And we've got like four more sable first fresheners to freshen, and I know that they will they will probably challenge some of these does. And and to be honest, when I look at numbers, I'm looking at keeping 10 sable milkers um, because that's pretty much all I can keep. Um, Cameron has told me very specifically I can have I can't have more than 16, and he's right. I'd really actually like to have 14. That would even make my life easier because I have a couple of old does that, that aren't fresh here that will be around. So it's like, maybe I really need to come back. He's going to take a couple of Alpine milkers from me. Um, he says three, maybe. Uh, but that means <laughs> that I'm only getting to keep like eight Alpines. And I've got I've got five or six, and he'll have the other three. And so it, it makes for a very difficult thing to do and, and the cutting them. We did start freshening like our Alpine yearlings. And that was a situation last year where we kept, I kept tons of kids last year. And that, that, that's probably, we're part of the that, problem. That's our problem. That's our problem. But last year we had a great, <laughs> we had a great AI year. Yeah. So I had AIs out of all these does and we kept them. And like our first one just freshened her udders terrific, which we knew it would be. We don't have her dam anymore, but we sold her dam last year because we knew we had her. And she's still a line that we want to continue with. And her dam was only sold because when we big boarded goats last year, she was she was just right there on the border. And it was like, well, she needs to go because her show career was pretty much over with. Um, she's a great go, but she her show career was not at, at the peak anymore. So that's that's kind of what you have to do. And that's what is making this painful. Cameron actually said to me about this about this five-year-old that I should sell. And I really struggled. I mean, I and I still do. But the best thing he did was to bring that up to me because now in my mind, every time I look at her, I am looking for those reasons to get rid of her. I can look at her and say, she doesn't have the best forder. Her teats are, are not very attractive. She could be longer. I mean, I'm looking at all of these things. Now, the fact that she's, you know, been a, a top 10 doe and she's got this whale of a rear udder, those are all great reasons to keep her. But I, when push comes to shove, I don't know if that will be it where we are in the end. So I think you touched on a lot of a lot of thought processes there. So, you know, I think what what you had said about Cameron's mentioned, you know, dad, you really can't handle 16 milking does yourself. And um, I think that's maybe a good thing to consider when you're thinking about 
cutting down your herd and making things more manageable, how many realistically can you handle to milk every day? And, and, you know, again, as I'm looking at being a solo goat owner too next year, um, you know, I, I recognize that I'm pretty lucky this year because I have Caroline, but next year is going to be a different thing. And when, when you have a job that, you know, you have to be at, or you have other commitments and you realize you don't want to get up at three o'clock in the morning to milk so that you can be at work on time. Um, you've got to have that magic number. And so, so sometimes that number of milkers is your limiting factor. And Ed, I am guilty of the same thing that you mentioned. Oh, well, we've got to keep her because I don't have a two-year-old or, but we have to keep this one because she fills out that senior get of sire. And my daughters have a really um, good way of saying, but mom, you don't really like that dough. So why do you want to use her as an example of that get of sire? I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Caroline, what are your thoughts on this one here? I'm kind of curious. You're kind of being quiet. Well, uh, there's a few. There's some kids this year, actually, where it's the excuse of, but we can have that class at nationals. Okay. That's um, that's more kids to feed, first of all. <laughs> and, um, you know, I work throughout the week as well. And unfortunately, I can't get up at three because I if I'm not at work, I'm at class. So um, I think a big part of it is just for me and I think mom, it's just time. I mean, yeah, your time might be your limiting factor. Yeah. So, I mean, between work, school for me, school, mom, work. Um, I mean, it takes time to prepare the milk for the kids, get out there and milk, feed everyone, watch growing, um, even like vaccinations for kids and everything. I mean, you've got to have that special t- number in which, okay, can I vaccinate this many and 15 minutes. Can I take care of hooves within that time? I mean, unfortunately we haven't quite figured it out. Yet. <laughs> well, I think sometimes too, just because you could take care of that number. Have you passed that threshold where it's not fun anymore? Have you guys ever run into that where you realize that every spare moment that you have is cleaning barns, trimming feet, disbudding kids and, and granted spring's always a busy time of year, but, but have you ever gotten to that point where you realize that we're almost to the point it's not fun anymore? That's usually what happens in the end of March where I'm just like, so itching to get rid of the goats. Um, that <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's just driving me crazy. I will say we have made some arrangements this year to, to sell some of our excess milkers to a dairy. And I, I always feel good when we can place them in a dairy because, I mean, let's be honest, these are goats that we've raised to be milk goats. Um, and so the idea that that they're going to get a home there, I, I think makes it easier for me to say that they'll go, they'll do their job. Our goats are are a bit pampered, but they'll do fine <laughs> in in that kind of situation. And, and I'm, I'm good with that. Um, we have a we have a three year old doe that I I mean I I thought after she freshened I would definitely keep her you know and then Cameron started saying to me look at this this and this about her and now that he said those things I can clearly see those things about her and I can see that's the reason why she doesn't stay now to be honest she's a doe that I feel perfectly great about keeping a daughter out of and I'm going to and I I, I mean just because not only her genetics, but she's got a lot of uh, positive qualities that I think that the buck that she was bred to will fix on there. So I, I really feel like that's the way you have to look at it. Um, and again, that could be because we have had, you know, not a lot of doe kids this year that we're going to take what we've got. But um, I also think that you, you have to just, you just have to make it work for you. And I think that everybody is going to look at that a little differently. Caroline, can I ask you a question? Of course. Um, when you when you say something to your mom, maybe it's a negative thing about a goat. There, do you ever feel like you sometimes like like it can get heated rather quickly? 
Have you met my mom? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there are certain animals that you have to be very tactical about why you think they should be sold and how we should go about selling them as well. Um, that being said, I mean, just selling one animal in the herd can make your herd look so much better. Um, for example, the calling till it hurts. Um, mom did end up selling one of her most beloved heart goats, I guess you can call it. That being said, I mean, the person we sold her to, she loves her. I mean, she's the shining star in our herd and she will send us pictures and videos of this animal. And I think that's really what it comes down to is just being tactical about who we should sell, why we should sell them, and figuring out a compromise on who, if that makes sense. But. I think you bring up an excellent point. I think the best way to cull is to have an accountability partner. And that's what you guys serve with each other. That's what Cameron and I do. And I'm sure we don't like to listen to each other sometimes. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking from my point of view... Cameron is much better at it than I am. And I'm guessing Caroline is much better at it than, than mom. But that's just yes. the way it is, right? Yes. And the other girls, you know, they, they, oh, I'll say that they gang up on me. They don't. They keep me honest. Um, I can think of a doe that I have um, in the barn that was a shining star as a kid. Um, I really like her pedigree. Her dam is a doe that, that was special to me and this doe is the bottom of the pecking order and i bet everybody that has a herd of goats has these kind of animals that that they look at them and they see so much potential in this animal but because they're a target for everybody else to be mean to they probably are not ever going to show their best in your herd and my daughters keep saying mom she could do really well in somebody else's herd. She could she could be a really great starter doe for somebody. She could be a great 4-H doe for somebody, but she is never going to reach her best life in our herd. And, and they're totally right. Do I want to hear that? No, but they keep me accountable for the fact that why am I going to hang on to a doe that I know probably will not ever leave the barn to show because she can't can't get her stuff together to look like a show doe. So, yeah. I think it's okay to admit that, you know what, this animal could thrive somewhere, but it's not going to thrive in our herd. And I think that's where sometimes our family does end up having our heated arguments is where will they do best? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I think, and I've really thought about this a lot after working with my dad and obviously working with Catherine now is sometimes, and, and some people in the family or stakeholders in the family get very emotional about animals and, and we should be here, but oftentimes our decisions when we do get mean about goats are rooted in emotions. So, so that's something as well that I've really worked to do a better job at is taking the emotion out of the goat and looking at it on a purely numbers basis. And I think even just talking about it, even having this conversation tonight is somewhat therapeutic because I think we can look at it from the standpoint. And if we are looking to breed the ideal goat, some of the bottom rung of goats are not close to that ideal. Um, and yet we can find every excuse to keep somebody. But again, if our goal is to get to the ideal, then that's what we have to look. I'll give you an example. For the last couple of years, Cameron has has badgered me about a particular doe in our herd that she <laughs> probably shouldn't stay around. And my argument has always been, you know, she's a really she's a really beautiful body goat, and she has a really well attached memory system. But she'll freshen and she'll milk a lot, and she'll have these good tests. And I'll be like, see. And then by the end of the season. I can't get her to fill her udder and she doesn't look her best. I mean, she's a doe that's appraised 91 
Um, she went best in show a couple of times last yeah. year. But you know, the other side of it is now she's got two phenomenal daughters in my herd. And it's like, okay, maybe it's time. Uh, you know, she's not going to go out to shows late in the season and do anything spectacular. Um, and, and that's if, if I'm working to, to breed that ideal goat, she's not it. Maybe her daughters are, and maybe I've done that already. So I've just got to move on. And so, like I said, this is very therapeutic because it does make me think, yeah, I, I can do this. I can make these decisions. And again, I'll be crying, Kurt. You know, I will be, and I really won't, I really won't be after a couple of days after they're gone, I won't miss them. But you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I we lost a really um, beautiful goat last year that was one of the best goats I'd say I probably ever bred. And, and we just lost her very rapidly after she had shown and done very well. And I felt her presence being gone, but that was a very different thing. You know, that wasn't the same as making the decision to get rid of her. So I think there, I think that you just have to separate those things. I agree. It, but I think you have to do honor to the fact that sometimes it's just stinking hard. I mean, it really, it really is, you know, yes, they're livestock, but they're personable livestock that we put a lot of blood, sweat and tears and time into. And um, it, it can be, it can just be hard to, hard to see them go. Um, but then you have to realize it costs to, to quote my brother-in-law Stanton, it costs just as much money to feed an ugly goat as it does to feed a beautiful goat. And so if you have a barn full of wannabes or what this is so-and-so or so-and-so's daughter, those are keeping your barn from allowing something that could be much more beautiful to either stay there or to thrive there. So, you know, you got to step back and take the heart out of it a little bit. There's, there's one thing that my dad and I were really reflecting on that. I want him to tell the story of we're going to call it the Panera effect. I think we talked about it last year, but we've really, I feel like this year refined this. So I'm going to ask my dad to tell the story about the Panera goat. She was a La Mancha. So tell us the Panera story. Well, it it just was, Panera just had the most beautiful mammary system and she was very correct in her general appearance, but she wasn't very big and she didn't have a lot of bone and her, she was out of a doe that we had bred that was like reserve best utter at a national show. And so I get this, this Panera doe. And um, the first time I take her out as it, as a, as a milking yearling, she just had nothing to her. And, and so I don't, I, you know, I kept thinking as a yearling, I probably could have called her. So as a two-year-old, she freshens, she has multiple kids, she looks good, and lo and behold, she ends up placing like fourth or fifth at the national show. She's not very big, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is a goat I wasn't even sure I was just going to keep. And so every year it was the same thing with Panera. You know, maybe this is Panera's year to go, but every year she'd end up placing like in the top five or six at the national show. She appraised 92, and year after year, as she got older, about when she was age four, I put her on the trailer to go to, to, to be sold. And I went later on and took her off, you know? So Panera stayed with us till she was about six. And then she finally, I mean, there was just no way, but it, you know, it's like, that was a situation where, and Cameron and I talked about this. How do you look at a goat and know how they're going to mature? Am I making a mistake by selling this goat too early? And, and how do I know? And I would say this is the situation. If it's a goat that you see the potential in, then you need to place that goat in somebody else's herd so you can watch her grow. If it's not somebody who you think is going to, then you've got to take her to a dairy or to the auction, one of the two. And that's, that's just the way it's got to be. Because hanging on to those sentimental goats because you think they could be okay, most likely you're not going to see that, are you? Correct. Absolutely. So, yeah, I I think it's a gut feeling more than anything. But, I mean, we can talk about structural red flags and other things under the sun there. But 
I, I think in our heart of hearts, we always knew Panera needed to leave every single year, but we just never could pull the trigger. And when we pulled the trigger, we naturally made jokes out of it. However, um, you know, there was, we, we obviously still talk about her and she's probably one of the more memorable launches we've ever owned just because she got pulled off every year, but nonetheless, it doesn't help <laughs> from knowing that she's still that and she didn't die, but that's our Lamacha story in a nutshell. You know, the, I do think that there are some animals that are just really hard to see. Like maybe it's the, maybe it's your first permanent champion. And, you know, then later on you realize that you've moved beyond that and, um, or maybe it's your child's first goat that they delivered themselves or a beloved goat out of your child's first, you know, there's lots of reasons that animals become sentimental favorites. Um, have you guys had those in your herd and, and, you know, how do you handle that too? Maybe when your kids were younger, especially Ed. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got all these pictures of them. For Cameron, it was actually a Nubian. <laughs> I know that's going to sound really funny, but um, the woman in Illinois, Sharon Christensen, um, she won a raffle and she, she specifically said, I choose the Nubian and I'm giving it to Cameron Jabowski. And so Cameron <laughs> had this Nubian. That was my first experience with Raffles. And she was an easy keeper because we had her as a dry yearling. And then she got bred to a Nubian. Or, so, or then she got bred to a La Mancha. We got rid of those ears real quick. And she didn't stay around after that. But I can still remember Cameron as we got ready to put her on the trailer. Um, you know, and it's really ironic that we have this conversation because when Cameron was younger, he didn't want anything to be sold. He would like, people would come and we'd have to like put Cameron upstairs because he'd get mad. He's like, I love that goat. You know, he was like, to be sold. Do you remember this? Yes, I remember blocking the driveway for like two week old weathers that people were buying. Oh yeah, my gosh, I love it. But look at how, look how it's come full circle because now, I mean, now he, he's my accountability partner. And, and like I said, this conversation just further illustrates the fact of how far we've come. And, and I know the listeners out there are, are empathizing with this because they're going through the same thing, thinking about, well, how am I going to get my numbers to where they need to be? And how can I possibly um, sell so-and-so? And, and I just think you have to get to a point and you just kind of um, make the decision and resolve yourself to it and don't look back. I think the thing is you have to also, and I, I'm going to pick on kind of that kid. I'm going to pick on spaghetti here. And, and, you know, I love spaghetti, but she kind of got to a point where I had maybe outgrown her as a goat. Um, and I could also start to see some of the things that were wrong with her. Was I always emotionally attached to her? Yes, I was. However, but as I grew older, I could still see, I could see the things that were wrong with her. Her udder was attached like a string or, or, you know, she wasn't very big or something like that there. So, so as you get older, or as you get more mature in goats, you start to see things more and you, and I, I think you start to take some of the emotion out of it. I don't want to say I'm an emotionless, um, emotionless robot because I'm not clearly I block the driveway for new weathers. Um, but at the same time, it takes a long time to, to learn how to take that emotion out of selling goats. How do you guys handle that emotion, you know, with sentimental goats in your heart? Well, sometimes me, better it's... sometimes better than others. Is that a good Ouch. way to put it? Well, I I mean, it's true. You know. I do think one thing to keep in mind is the longer you have them, the harder it's going to be to lose them. I mean, if there, there are just certain flaws that aren't going to get fixed with age. So you really can't hold on to them to the point hoping that it's going to get better when in reality there's a good chance it could get worse or maybe you have other animals that are better. So, I mean, when it's time to sell an animal, it comes down to better to do it now than later. I mean, because let's face it, it's a lot easier to sell a yearling or a two-year-old than it is something that's been on your heart in your barn for 
six, seven years. I mean. I think that's a good point. And, and also from a parenting standpoint, I think that for us, that's evolved over the years. You know, when we first, when my girls were little, little, I tried to maybe be a little more understanding, you know, um, picking on Caroline since she's sitting here. I bought her a dough. I bought each one of my daughters a dough to start with. And when we freshened them as yearlings, Caroline's dough didn't really make the cut. Please keep in mind, I was seven at the time. Yeah, she was seven. She's pretty little. And so I'm like, you know, Caroline, our our rule is that we're not going to keep her and we're not going to keep her kids either. And that was traumatic to her. She couldn't understand why her two older sisters got to keep their does, but she didn't. Of course, the two older sisters does freshened nicely. And it was just, it was really hard. So, you know, I had to do the old, well, I'll give you one of the does out of fiction to replace the dough that we're selling. And, and that got okay. So sometimes you have to be a little diplomatic if your kids are young, because you don't want to take the heart out of them. You don't want them to hate goats. You you want them to enjoy and, and have that attachment to their animals. But, um, you know, yeah, she's right. If you can <laughs> rip the bandaid and just move, move on sooner rather than later, that does make it a little bit easier, I think. So, Let me ask you guys the hard question, and it kind of spurred, I think after last year's episode, um, Dr. Kurt Schnipke sent me a message about, so who has the ultimate say in the decision? So I'll ask you guys first is, I mean, who has the ultimate say? Is it if, if the girls disagree on one thing and, you know, or maybe Madeline and Elizabeth agree on one thing, but Caroline and you agree on the other thing, what, how, where... You know, who, who has the final say in that whole discussion there? Well, currently, um, if mom and I disagree with the other two, it falls to us since we're kind of the ones taking care of them. Um, that being said, I would probably say falls to mom just because, again, I'm not always going to be here. Um, mom pays the majority of the bills. Mostly. <laughs> so that has, I mean, honestly, that, that does make a difference. But, I mean, really it does come down just to communication. Why this one needs to go. Why this one needs to stay. And We do try to work to a consensus. I mean, we, we do. I, I think also what factors into it, like with our second breed, you know, we have, we have Sonnens. Um, while Caroline and Caroline and I do the majority of the work with them because we actually We're live home. here. They are Elizabeth Sonnens. So um, knowing that she's the one who makes the majority of the breeding decisions and the culling decisions and so forth. Um, I think that's, that's pretty much it. You know, Madeline loves the goats, but she's, she's at a point in her life where she's like, you know, I'll come home and I'll help you at shows and I'll help you with some things around the barn if I can. But I really am kind of distanced from the goats at this point. I still love them and I still have my favorites, but you make the decisions. I'm, I'm going to kind of turn that over to you guys. So I, I think it's evolved over time. Has it done that with your herd as well? I, well, to, to answer Dr. Kurt's uh, question here a couple of years ago, uh, I will say my dad has the ultimate decision on, on it here. Um, I, I just look at myself as the um, – what's the word I'm looking for? The – just – I called me, myself like a little gopher at one point in our kind of relationship because I would go out and I would find things, semen or bucks or random things there. But And I, and I like being called a gopher. But I, I look at myself as like – the little devil on his shoulder, if that makes sense, saying that you should get rid of them. But I think the ultimate decision, and I'll blame it here, is is on him. Yeah, I, I would say that ultimately, in the end, like you said, Laura, I'm the one who's who's splitting the bill for most of these things, so I'm the one who's going to make the ultimate decision. Um, but I I am going to listen to Cameron, and I, even though we sometimes argue over things. Um, it's healthy arguing, I think. And um, I have to admit, anytime I have, you know, cut the cord on a goat and made the decision to finally get rid of them, and then that evening when I go to milk and they're not here, 
I'm just like, oh my God, this is so much better. You know, and, and uh, you know, I, yes, I might think about the goat a couple of times and her not coming out, her not turning around the wrong way and running back and forth and not getting up on the stand. I might not miss that thing. <laughs> but I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just a matter of, you know you've done the right thing and you know you've done the right thing for you. And the the beauty this year has been, you know, we've had these conversations about, you know, like what goats Cameron's going to take because he's going to take some alpines with him. And I pretty much, I, I don't know, Cameron would agree with this. There's like one or two goats I wouldn't let him take, but oftentimes he isn't interested in those. The ones that he has wanted to take, I've been like, yeah, that's fine. You take that one. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of our better does is out of his, one of his old showmanship goats. That's granddaughter, one of his mm-hmm. old showmanship goats. And I'm like, you take her. She needs to be with you. And it, you know, it, it's perfectly, it's perfectly acceptable um, to, to do that. And, and I think the, the beauty is he's going to take some goats and he's going to have them in his house. And guess what? They're still going to be kicking the belly goats. They're just going to be living somewhere else. So I mean, we're, we're we're fine with that. We're still breeding them. Um, he'll make some breeding decisions, but I'm sure he'll consult me. Or at least he better. <laughs> <laughs> and that I think that's. Wouldn't you agree that that's one of the joys of seeing your kids grow up into adults and still being involved with dairy goats is that you can have those accountability conversations and you can see them really move into being competent and confident breeders and it's just fun it just adds a whole different layer of fun from just doing it by yourself i agree it and i know for me when my daughters hold me accountable for things i may be kicking and screaming and and you know growling about it but deep down inside i'm like gosh, dang it. I know that they're right. And I don't like it that they're right. And so I'm going to throw a little hissy fit, but in the end, I'm probably going to do what they're recommending because they're right. You know, (laughs) you got, you got to be able to stand back and see that too. Yeah, absolutely. On that one there. Um, We, I think we've done a great job. I appreciate the candidness of everyone. And this conversation is very different than what we've ever had before, but I, I think this is a wonderful conversation. Don't you agree, Laura, Caroline? Oh, I think so too. And, you know, definitely is that sitting around, sitting around the table together and just talking about reading issues like this. I, I think that um, it's not a, it's not a totally scripted out and, um, you know, way of looking at it. It's more of a, a just, really sharing that thought process that that we've used may not work for everybody, but definitely something to sit back and consider because everybody has to make those decisions sometimes. And, and um, you know, in, unless you can keep 200 goats, you probably can't right. keep your sanity if you do that. So <laughs> <laughs> I think as, as we kind of sum up things here, I think, I think it'd be good to leave everybody with like, three really big tips that I think came out of this. And, and those three things are number one, you've got to find what works for you. Um, no matter what it, it you've got to find you as an individual and, and, and kind of recognize that you're the ultimate person in charge and, and you've got to decide what all those factors are. Secondly, you got to have an accountability partner because if you, if you do that, that will help you to make decisions. And number three you know, sometimes you, you got to just make that ultimate sacrifice and look at that bubble list. And just like, just like the NCAA tournament, somebody's bubble is going to be bursted this coming Sunday. And uh, you're going to have to burst a bubble um, of a goat that you really don't want to part with. And that's just what you've got to be prepared to do. I think that's a great way to sum it up. Yes, I agree. Dr. Ed, Caroline, thank you this week uh, for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I always enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, as always, uh, we do want to thank our sponsor this week, Vallis de Octus Farms in Central Kansas. Uh, thanks to the Thibodeaux this week for sponsoring the program. 
And thank you to our listeners for being part of our Goat Gab family. And as always, we just cherish your feedback. So if you have thoughts on uh, topics or things that you wish we would or that you wish that we wouldn't do, let us know that because we want to make sure that you're still enjoying Goat Gab just as much as we're enjoying putting it out. So uh, find, us, find us on Facebook and leave your feedback. You can leave um, your thoughts on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever Spotify, wherever you listen to us. We would really appreciate that. Thanks, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you next week.